Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. Well, we are in week three of Keep Moving Forward. We're learning how it's always forward with Jesus. It's never back. And two weeks ago, we found that, you know, that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in spite of what lay ahead, I mean, he kept praying and he kept trusting God's will for his life. And we have to emulate that if we find ourselves in difficult situations, especially when we pray and God happens to say no to the prayers that we're praying. And then last week, we learned from Peter's story how failure isn't final. Like Peter denied Jesus three times, but he kept going and his faith was restored as a result of that. So we've gone from Gethsemane to Peter's denials during the first of you know, Jesus' trials. Now we've come to his trial before the Roman governor, Pilate, which will lead to a famous scene that makes sense if you know the Easter story, but would have boggled the mind of many people who witnessed it all play out in real time. Uh, there are times in our lives when what God is doing or what God's allowing doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, right? And we certainly live in such a time right now. Like we see injustices and we see evil celebrated as good and good is denounced as evil. And it does feel at times like the whole world's gone mad, leaving some folks to wonder like, why, why is God not stopping it? You know, why doesn't God take care of it? Maybe this is personal for you. Maybe it's a family member who just never got better and, and passed on into eternity. Or maybe it's a friend who works hard, they just can't seem to get any of the breaks to go their way, you know? There are certainly times when God doesn't make sense, and it leaves us feeling frustrated and sometimes angry, even broken to a certain extent. Now, here's the really crazy thing. No one understands this feeling better than Jesus himself. So here he stands before Pilate. He's brought by the Jewish leadership who wants him executed. Like, you know, for, for what? <laughs> what did he do? Like, what great sin and crime did he commit? The ultimate picture of, of injustice here is the innocent suffering in this trial, you know, which is Jesus that he's enduring before Pilate. So how do we keep moving forward when, when, when what God is doing and what God's allowing just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense? Luke chapter 23, verse number 13 is where our story picks up today. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, you brought this you know, man to me as one who was inciting people to rebellion, but I've examined him in your presence and I've found that there's no basis for any charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. So Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting you know, louder, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke, he said, why? What crime has this man committed? I found him in no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. Verse number 23, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. 
So Pilate decided to grant their demand, and he released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Three times in this passage, Pilate finds Jesus innocent. Verse number 15, Jesus has done nothing to deserve death. Verse number 20, Pilate desires to release Christ. Verse number 22, he publicly states that Jesus is innocent to the Jewish leadership and crowd, that he's, he's an innocent person. Luke is hammering away at a very important fact that he is innocent here, you know? But not only is he innocent, he's going to suffer at the hands of a corrupt and unjust system. It's absolutely true to say that Jesus is a victim of injustice because he was. Now, this is the second and final time he appears before Pilate. And during his appearance, you know, Pilate makes this attempt to keep as far away from the case as possible. In fact, the very first time he sees Jesus, he doesn't want anything to do with him, right? I mean, he actually sends him away to Herod Antipas, who had local jurisdiction over Galilee, where, where, where Christ was from. And, and this is, you know, Herod's problem, right? It's like, let Herod deal with that. Well, unfortunately for Pilate, Herod finds Jesus innocent also and sends him back to Pilate. So now there's a huge problem that Pilate has in his hands because he believes that Jesus is innocent, but the Jewish leadership wants him executed. When you read the passage, I mean, you can almost feel the weight on Pilate's shoulders. You can feel the tension. He doesn't want to execute Jesus, but he doesn't want an insurrection to develop either, you know? Roman governors could face their own execution if their province was engaged in full-fledged rebellion. So there's this military philosophy called the Pax Romana that dominated the governing strategy of Rome's provinces. If you ever heard of Pax Romana, um, then, then great. But if you haven't, it's Latin for the Roman peace. And simply put, you were expected to achieve peace at all costs. The last thing Rome wanted to do was to have a territory in rebellion and insurrection. So adhering to Pax Romana often led the Romans to act in very cruel, highly unjust ways to secure peace and stability through any means in their territories. So for Pilate, this means he can't afford any mishaps. We don't know a whole lot about him, but what little we do know is that this time uh, he had as governor in Judea, it was filled with conflict. He wasn't a pushover. He wasn't weak-minded. In fact, Pilate was a brutal, brutal governor. In fact, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus will reference an incident where a bunch of Galileans were slaughtered and their blood was mixed with the temple sacrifices. This is a reference to an incident where Pilate trapped a large group of Galileans in Jerusalem and he hid soldiers in plain clothes among the crowd. Once the crowd was trapped, the soldiers drew their swords and massacred every man, woman, and child in the crowd. So Pilate was brutal. He was tough. He didn't scare easily. However, he did value his own life, and he knew what he risked if another insurrection occurred. So if he was summoned back to Rome, he could face imprisonment. He could even face you know, death. So some scholars actually think a Roman investigation was even going on about Pilate's handling of Judea during this time. So that makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, because he actually gets recalled back to Rome only a few years later following the death and resurrection of Jesus. So knowing he's innocent, Pilate devises a 
plan A and a plan B. Plan A involves a tradition he starts during Passover each year. Matthew 27 provides details about that, telling the reader it was customary for Pilate to release a prisoner each year during this Passover celebration. And that's when it happens. You know, this important interruption to Jesus' journey on the cross occurs. Pilate brings out a prisoner named Barabbas. Barabbas and Jesus could not be more different. Barabbas was a revolutionary. He was in prison for the very things the Jewish leadership accused Jesus of doing. He misled the people. He rebelled against Caesar. Worse, he was a murderer. He's the guy who should be and is at the moment on death row. He's the bad guy. He's the villain in the story. He deserves the chains. What has Jesus done? Well, he healed the sick. He showed compassion to the poor. He fed the hungry. He raised the dead. I mean, you know, like how do you even compare these two people? And that's Pilate's hope. That's what he's hoping here. His hope is the people understand there isn't a comparison. It's very clear. Jesus is innocent. He's good. He's worthy to live. But Barabbas, man, this guy's not. He's the poster child for capital punishment, for rebellion. And if you're any of Jesus' followers who might have been present during the crowd, you're thinking the same thing. You're thinking, man, finally, this whole nightmare is going to be over, and Jesus will be set free, and it'll all be good. But the people scream for Barabbas. The mob, no matter how loud it screams, you know, rarely is on the side of justice. And once again, it proves to be on the wrong side here. Blood must have drained, I'm sure, from Pilate's shot face as he watched the soldiers release this notorious criminal. I've always wondered, too, you know, if he was thinking in that moment, maybe he thought, you know, what are they doing? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Why are they shouting for him? And he would be right, because it didn't make sense. Evil is being celebrated. Good is being jeered. Like, what, what's going on here? The disciples who were probably witnessing all this unfold, they must have been in shock, too. You know, this wasn't supposed to happen. It's not exactly how they drew it up. Maybe they thought, okay, well, you know, now God would be a great time for you to step in. You know, hey, God, where are you at? We've seen you do some great things. Why don't you rescue your, you know, Jesus now? What's happening just, just doesn't seem to make sense to them. And so down goes Barabbas, running into the crowd, jubilant at his newfound freedom. Perhaps Barabbas thought he was a man of the people after all. You know, look how they love me. Look how they fought to set me free. When really, it was the love of the Father which set Barabbas free. See, as wild as all this was, and as much pain that was inflicted, as much as it didn't make sense to the disciples and to Pilate, it was all part of God's plan. From the moment Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree in Genesis 3, God had constructed a plan to defeat sin and to restore a once-severed relationship with humanity. And He set into motion a crazy series of events to lead up to this one moment, to this one day, to this ultimate culmination of an incredible plan to save mankind. And so He called out to Abraham. And He said, Abraham, leave your home. I want to take you to a place that's today called Israel. Abraham became the father of the Jewish people, and God said, I will bless the world through you. How in the world does that happen? It didn't make sense. You know, he's one guy. Well, Abraham didn't know how big the world even was at the time, you know, but he trusted God's promise. It was all part of the plan. Then God used the famine to bring the descendants of Abraham to Egypt, where after 400 years, they became slaves. Why would God allow his people to become enslaved? Why would he allow them to suffer? They're supposed to be a blessing, right? That didn't make sense. And yet, without the enslavement, they would not have grown into a nation. They would not have seen the seas part and the power of God on full display. 
When Israel finally settles into their homeland, they break the covenant with God by worshiping other idols. And so God sends prophets to turn the people back to him. And the nation refuses. And God had enough. So he starts a new covenant. And he sent a prophet named Jeremiah who told of a coming time when this new covenant would be written on people's hearts, where they would know God. People didn't get that because Jeremiah's words didn't make sense to them. Another prophet spoke of a tiny village called Bethlehem and how salvation would rise from this obscure little backwoods town. Still another prophet spoke of a coming Savior whose blood would be the ultimate sacrifice to cover our sins once and for all. None of those things made sense at the time. People didn't understand. They couldn't connect all the dots. But on this day, and at this time, it all finally came together. God's plan was moving forward with a lightning speed to a climactic ending. Jesus trusted the Father. In Gethsemane, he trusted the Father's will. And in doing so, he trusted the Father's plan. When God doesn't make sense, when you're frustrated because you see injustice, when you see the innocent suffer, when you can't figure out what God is up to, and it's just breaking you, understand that God's got a plan. And that plan is for His glory and for your good. And it brings life, and it brings freedom, and it brings forgiveness. Things may not make sense right now, but God has a plan. So if you can keep focused on Him, if you can keep your head up and fixed on Jesus when things don't make sense, you can keep moving forward. So why Barabbas? I often wonder that when I read the story. God, why Barabbas? Why did your plan include this moment? Couldn't this have happened without bringing Barabbas into the picture? And, and the answer is, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Barabbas had to be part of the story. He had to be part of the plan. This moment had to be included. You see, by including a notorious criminal like Barabbas into the story, into this very moment, God gives us a picture of his incredible grace. We see what it looks like for Jesus to take our place in this passage. I understand this today, man. God knew that he had to treat Jesus like Barabbas in order to treat Barabbas like Jesus. He who knew no sin, St. Corinthians tells us, had to become sin for us. See, Barabbas is you. And Barabbas is me. It's the expression of while we were still sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. God loved Barabbas, and because he loved Barabbas, he sent his son to die in his place. It's the ultimate expression of God's love for humanity. We are saved by grace. We keep moving forward by keeping ourselves fixed in God's grace. Yet we have this natural and selfish idea that when God doesn't make sense, we should take over, okay? Like we, we, we can't figure out what God's up to. We want control. We, we decide if God is acting quick enough, if God is doing things how we think they should line up with, then okay, fine. But, you know, we gave God a chance. We gave him a shot. But now it's up to us. We'll save ourselves. Like, we'll take care of it, and we'll dig ourselves out of this hole that we're in, and we'll shatter the chains that are holding us back, and we can shout, you know, I can do this, and I can fix this myself, and I'll work hard to make it right, and it's all about how we can handle it on our own. Truth is, you can't. You'll never be free on your own. 
Hear me, you'll never be free on your own. Barabbas cannot free himself on his own, in his own strength, with his own intellect, with his own connections, no matter how hard he tried, he would always be in chains. You'll never be able to take matters into your own hands and overcome what you're facing by your own ingenuity and strength. You alone can't do it. And that's why God's plan culminated in this moment where Christ would be sentenced to die. It was so Jesus could look at Barabbas and look at you and look at me and say, let me have it. Let me have your burdens. Let me have your insecurity. Let me have your hopelessness. Let me have your sin. Stop trying to do it on your own. Let me do this for you. You can't take your, uh, yourself to a, a place of freedom, but I can do it if I take your place. If you want to keep moving forward today and when God doesn't make sense, you have to keep yourself fixed in God's grace. We're not saved by our own strength and by our own devotion, our own knowledge, our own works. We are saved by the grace which came to us out of God's plan for salvation by the one who took our place. When God doesn't make sense, we can trust His plan is working for our good. When God doesn't make sense, we can trust His grace. And if God's grace is sufficient to save us, shouldn't we trust it's sufficient to keep us moving forward even when things don't make sense, even when things are out of control, even when things feel like evil is winning and good is being trampled on. God's grace, it's enough. Jesus is enough. Without God's perfect plan, there'd be no amazing grace. We'd still be lost in our sin. We'd still wander in darkness. Jesus had to become like Barabbas so the Father could treat us like Jesus. He had to take our place so we could truly live. I don't know why God does the things He does the way that He does them. I don't know why He allows certain things to happen. I don't know why He's allowing people, maybe even you today, to suffer unjustly. I don't know why He's taking you through what you can only describe as the storm of storms in your life right now. I don't know why things aren't working out for you in this moment. I don't, I don't know. I know it's frustrating. I know it's painful. I know it makes you question. But listen to me today. Resist the urge to take matters into your own hands. Resist the urge to take control. And instead, keep moving forward. Keep trusting God's plan for your life. Keep trusting that it's good. Keep trusting His grace is all that you need. What if you stop trying to make sense of everything today? What if you, what if you stop trying to, to work things out on your own? What if you just trusted God? What if you just trusted His plan for you was good? What if you just rested in the arms of Jesus and His amazing grace? If you can begin to do this today, I believe your life will change forever. It won't matter what things you know, don't make sense or not, because your life is resting in the hands of the one who took your place. The one whose plan for your life is good, and the one whose grace for you is enough. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for all those who are watching and listening here today. You know their hearts, you know their struggles, you know their fears, you know what they're enduring right now. God, I pray that as they try to make sense of some painful moments, of some confusion, of some things that they're walking through right now, Lord, May they remember that it's your grace that carries us. It's your grace that saves us, forgives us, heals us, guides us, directs us. 
We may not understand how to connect the dots right now, but we know you have a good plan for our lives. We know, God, you have a, a plan to bring us a future and a hope. And we know, Lord, that, that all this is for our good. And so we're putting our trust in you. Lord, I pray in these difficult moments for peace. And I pray, God, for your hand to this beyond people and give them, uh, Lord, the strength Give them, God, the endurance they need. But Lord, may they just feel, more importantly, the, the, the power of your presence, that they are loved for and cared for. In order for us to be free, for us to live, for us to really find grace, you had to take our place. So I, I pray right now for a couple of things. One, I pray, Lord, if we're carrying burdens, if we're carrying struggles, if we're carrying heavy weights, sins, whatever it is, may we hand those over to you. In fact, right now, I would just pray, Lord, take it. Take what I'm struggling with. God, take what I'm dealing with. Lord, take my addictions. Take my hopelessness. Take my fear. Take my burdens. I just pray, Lord, that you would take those from us. And I pray, God, that you would instead give us joy and peace and life and freedom in return. But Lord, I pray for those too who would say, today's the day I want to say yes to Jesus. Today's the day I want to make this decision to follow after God. And that if that's you, I want you just to begin to call out to God right now and just say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. God, forgive me for my wrong. Lord, I, I, I've messed up. I've, I've done things I'm not proud of. I've done things, God, that I know you're not proud of. Please forgive me for my sin. Please cleanse me of my wrong and be Lord of my life and guide me and direct me. And man, from this day forward, I, I'm going to follow you. I may not understand everything I'm going through, but I'm going to follow you because I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for those today who are placing their trust in you, some for the very first time. We ask, God, that you would encourage them and strengthen them and walk through the valleys they're walking through right now with them. We thank you that you came, died for us, so we could be free of sin and darkness, so we could have your amazing grace. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.